Welcome to episode three of the Mixtape Podcast, the podcast dedicated to deconstructing the films that we love from a screenplay writer's perspective. I'm your host, as per usual. My name is Marcelo Inesosa, joined by my fellow screenplay writer and one of my dearest friends, Dean Stark. And on today's show, we'll be talking about the 1999 film directed by Tim Burton, uh, Sleepy Hollow. If you've been here before, we've um, we sort of have like a, a operating creedy. What is going to happen now is Dean is going to take us through a nice stroll through the woods, uh, sort of scene by scene, breaking down one of Tim Burton's best films, in my opinion. Although I'm kind of partial to Batman uh, Returns. Now, on you know, on second thought, hold on, I gotta <clears throat> see acid reflex. I'm telling you, this is this, this is awful. Um, okay, so in my opinion, um, Sleepy Hollow is one of Tim Burton's best films. I mean, say what you want about uh, the night, the Nightmare Before Christmas. You know, uh, Edward Scissorhands. Um, yeah, I just, I just love Sleepy Hollow for some reason. Anyway, I will shut up. And Dean, do you have some notes for us about Sleepy Hollow? So first up, the story of Sleepy Hollow follows, for people that don't know and haven't seen it, follows Ichabod Crane, who is played by Johnny Depp, a police detective, who is sent to Sleepy Hollow to investigate a series of murders committed by the Headless Horseman. Now... This movie was adapted from the book The Legend of Sleepy Hollow by Washington Irving that was originally published in 1820. I don't know how much of this movie um, is accurate to the book. I'm sure, like, just watch... I haven't read the original book, but just watching the movie, I'm sure there are some things in it that they sort of made up. But the premise of the whole Headless Horseman Sleepy Hollow thing is still there. Obviously, you said it was directed by Tim Burton. This is one of Tim Burton's better movies. Um, I Tim Burton was my favorite director until he wasn't, right? Until <laughs> until he started making stuff that wasn't Tim Burton. He kind of just went mainstream, and I was like, "No, dude, you're weird. I like your weirdness. I like your dark, morbid weirdness." I mean, for me, Sleepy Hollow is one of his best movies, but obviously, Batman Returns is epic. My personal favorite is. Beetlejuice. Um, that is actually my favorite movie. I, I just, I don't know why, I just adore it. But um, I wanted to mention the composer of this movie, uh, Danny Elfman. So Danny Elfman works with Tim Burton on pretty much all his movies. And right from the opening credits, this guy, Danny Elfman, is probably my favorite composer. His stuff is so creepy and it's just so ominous and right from the beginning it kind of gives you chill did you do you get that with like danny elfman's like stuff like it gives you chills yes uh one of the things that popped out to me in this film right away is two things the atmosphere and the production design of this whole film uh throughout 89 percent of it until you know johnny depp vanquishes the uh the the Headless Horseman, the production design, and the atmosphere, and the music is so fucking good. It really puts you in the world that you're about to enter. And Danny Elfman is uh, very, very exceptional in this Burton film. Yeah, he did uh, just an amazing job. So the music starts right when the credits start. So the, the opening scene I really, really like, and the screenwriter did a good job of showing us not telling us so we open on a well okay the opening scene is someone writing a letter but we learn about that later but the next scene after that is a carriage scene so there's this rich guy he's in a carriage he's in a like a, a pompous carriage pulled by you know rich horses and yet yeah, like the rich horses uh, how do I explain it like there are not I don't want to say like shitty horses but uh, like Clydesdales if anybody knows horses, they'll know that Clydesdales are like the creme de la creme. Pulled by Clydesdales. Purebred yeah, like horses. Purebred, purebred horses. So he's in the carriage at yeah. night and the sound effect, the sound effects, the sound mixing that they did for this scene is 
amazing. So you've got Danny Elfman's theme score in the background. You've got the carriage on sort of like the uneven gravel. And then you hear the horseman ride past the carriage. You don't necessarily see it. You just hear this horse like galloping. And I'm like, oh, God. And then you just hear these ominous sounds and you know, okay, something is about to go down. And then the guy, I think it's, I forget his, I didn't write his name down. He sort of sticks his head out and the horseman sort of lops his head off. But what I really like about this scene is that it sets up even the rich are not safe, right? Because usually in movies, it's the poor and the derelict and the prostitutes that that sort of get killed. But in this movie, it sets it up right away. Doesn't matter what station you're at, the horseman is going to come after you. Did you pick that up or was it just me and my weird brain? No, I did. No, I did pick that up. And you mentioned the sound design of this movie because you have Danny Elfman's score on top. You had the sound design under that. And the the thing that I thought that uh, the person who mixed this film did particularly well is what you hear Danny Elfman's music first. And then you hear these ominous sounds like you mentioned. And then you don't see the horseman kill the guy who's driving the carriage. All you hear is a sort of whoosh sound. And then the rich guy hops out of the out of the carriage, runs through some corn, and gets his head lopped off. So you don't really see anything. Like you pointed out, it's show, don't tell. So I particularly liked that the, the setup of that whole scene. I noticed the sound design, but I like the scene in reference to execution. We are... We are shown as an audience exactly what we need to know. And it's not really, um, there isn't a wasted moment in the opening sequence of this film. Yeah, and it also sets up the tone for the entire movie. Like, this is what the movie is going to be. And yeah, like you mentioned before, whoever the set designer, whoever the production designer was was on this movie, like, amazing. Like, you you are just in it like even like the seat the next scene after that is we go to new york 1799 and we meet ichabod crane which is johnny depp and even the design on new york 1799 is just so accurate and it's so beautiful and the costume designs the set everything just works now i want to talk about johnny depp's performance for one second because to me johnny is one of the best actors out there so as I was watching his performance in the movie, I realized that the dialogue that he's saying, the way that it was written, depending on which actor picks it up, can be construed a different way. So the dialogue that he says is very serious. It's very like, this is what it is. This is what I'm going to do. You don't understand, blah, blah, blah. But the way Johnny plays it is kind of funny but really subtle. So it's not funny as in he's making fun of himself or the character, but he just puts these little, these looks, these Johnny Depp looks and just the tone of his voice will, will change and go up an octave when he says something just to make it a little bit, just to make it funny, but not funny, funny. Did you, did you you notice that? Like, like any other actor would have played it serious, but he played it with a little bit of, um, grit and a little bit of pizzazz and a little bit of humor i really feel that uh a lot of the a lot of the films that you know bring together johnny depp and tim burton we really get uh, a unique performance by johnny depp he's one of those actors who isn't necessarily a method actor but brings something unique and something special to every one of his roles and the thing that i liked about his performance in Sleepy Hollow is that for the most part, for, for reasons that we're going to get into uh, in this episode, for the most part, he is very, very meek in certain situations with certain characters. But to what you said, there are moments where that meekness goes away and he has, he, he gets, he gets brave in certain situations and in certain instances throughout the course of the film, which I'm sure that we'll talk about. And I don't know if that is necessarily in the script. Well, I well, I um, it's most likely that that it, it's most likely that that wasn't the script. So I think that that was a Johnny Depp little sprinkle for this particular Tim Burton project. And I really, really 
like that because with most actors, like you said, they would play it straight. And the fact that he didn't makes his character stand out above the rest for the rest of the film. Yeah, just a little. I mean, we'll get to the trivia at the end, but just something that has come into my mind that is not in the trivia, but something that I did read was Johnny Depp has actually never seen Sleepy Hollow because he hates his performance in the script. <laughs> so take that as you will. Um, what I really, really like about the when we meet Ichabod is we learn a lot about him in a short space of time. So we learn that he's progressive in the way that he thinks. He does experiments. He likes to he, he likes to get evidence. He's not just like if somebody says something, he doesn't just take it on face value. He likes to look deeper and research and and do all that. And he's he's surrounded by people um, at where he works at the the police station by basically people called sticks in the mud, which is uh, another way of saying people that resist change, people that don't want to move forward. Whereas Ichabod is very much, I want to move forward. I'd like to do experiments. I like to really, really, really get to the the guts of what's going on. And they don't. I just want to talk about a shot. Uh, you probably noticed it. So in this scene is the amazing, iconic Christopher Lee. And he play, I think he plays a judge. And there is a shot that Tim does from... It's like right in front of Christopher Lee and behind him is an angel with black wings. But the way that he's shot it is it's Christopher Lee and it looks like he's got the black wings coming out of him. So it kind of shows he's not he's not a great person. Did you notice that shot? Yeah, yeah, I did. Also, also, I noticed because the scene has Christopher Lee, you know, sort of sort of high above the rest of the of the principal actors in the room. But if you notice on the right side of Johnny Depp, there's a guy in like, you know, in like, in like chains or something. It, he, it's a guy that is, he seems to be in a cart. And for some reason I thought, are they going to, are, are they, are they going to like probably sentence, sentence that guy to death or something? It was very odd. It was very weird. Yeah. It, uh, yeah I did that find that odd. I, I have a feeling that that was more of an extended scene and it got cut because I felt like there were a lot of elements that didn't, really need to be there for what we saw so the only thing i can surmise was that they just mm -hmm. they cut it down time because sleepy hollow is already long like it's nearly it's i think it's an hour and 45 minutes like that's for, for not for now <laughs> now we've got like four hour movies but for 1999 an hour and 45 minutes is is quite long so i have a feeling that they just would have cut down that scene because i noticed that person too and that person didn't really have anything to do with anything so Basically, the Christopher Lee character and his police detectives think he's a quack, don't want to be around him anymore, don't want to listen to him, and so they ship him off to a little town called Sleepy Hollow. Now, there are two shots in this film that I absolutely adore, and that makes me love Tim Burton. One of them is when Ichabod gets out of the carriage and he's entering Sleepy Hollow. And there's a beautiful crane shot of behind him and it just lifts up and you see the entire town of Sleepy Hollow and it's all, there's all, it's fog, it's surrounded by forests. It's, I mean, it's, it is one of my favorite shots probably ever in cinema. It is absolutely beautiful. What say you about that shot? No, that's actually a wonderful, wonderful shot. And it's really, it's really indicative of, I know you don't like Westerns, but it's really indicative to me of the lone gunslinger coming into a town where nobody wants him. Oh, that's a good point. And yeah, I can see that. Yeah. And the thing, <laughs> um, and, you know, and also, also, I think that scene is indicative of showing you that, you know, this town has a secret and everybody you know, doesn't like strangers. And, you know, and as uh, as Johnny Depp walks through the town uh, before he reaches the inn, uh, there are a couple shots of people closing windows and people shutting their doors. So it's very, very clear that there's an issue in this town, but nobody wants to deal with yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I. Yeah. So so I particularly like that scene because of what it invoked in me. But, uh, you know. I, you know, I, I, you know, I wouldn't hold it against you for saying that's one of your favorite shots in film history because it's a wonderful, wonderful establishing shot that says a lot about the journey that we're going to go, that says a lot about the journey that we're going to go on 
um, in the yeah, film. And yeah. it also tells the audience, like you said, everything. It doesn't, it doesn't, by just by showing that one shot. And like you said, when he walks through the town, the townspeople don't like outsiders. They kind of keep to themselves. And you're like, okay, what's, what's going on in this town? So after that, we meet a character called Katrina Van Tassel, which is played by the amazing Christina Ricci. I adore Christina Ricci. You know this. I will watch anything she's in. I think she's amazing. So we meet her and she's the daughter of the guy. I, can't, I didn't even write his name down. Of the, the oh, what's his name? Do you remember his name? The, of the, no, of the, of the mayor of the, the town? No, right? she's the, the daughter of the guy that runs the town. I can't remember what his name is. Yeah, he's a he's a he's the mayor. Yeah, of the yeah, town. yeah. I think the well, mayor. Ma- I can't remember. So after we we sort of meet her for a, a minute or two, uh, Ichabod is taken into the back with all the sort of elders of the town, and he's told, you know, the headless horseman is killing people, and he sort of goes, "Oh, the headless horseman is killing people," and then you get the back a little bit of the backstory on the headless horseman, which is he was a mercenary that was basically a psychopath that just liked lopping people's heads off. And in the end, he actually got his head, his own head, chopped off by his own sword. Um, so, Christopher Walken. I need to just say something. Christopher Walken plays the Headless Horseman. He never says one word in the entire movie. Never says anything. But can I just tell you, when I saw this movie and he came on screen, I had nightmares. And I still have nightmares. I think he is one of the scariest villains I have ever Scene. I don't know if it's the teeth, the hair, the get-up, the blue, the ice blue contacts. I don't know. But he honestly scares the crap out of me. What say you on Christopher Walker? I mean, he did a great job. But do you does it elicit that that within you? Or are you just like, oh, that's a good makeup design? Uh, that does... Um, Christopher... Uh, Christopher Walken's performance as the Headless Horseman is really unique and really special because, like you said, he never utters a single fucking word throughout the course of the movie. The only thing that he does is grunt, and he speaks by his actions, right? He speaks by every person that he kills in the film. For me, I didn't have that visceral reaction that you did. He didn't terrify me, but I could understand how somebody like you would be terrified by his performance because his performance just by itself is terrifying and chilling. And, you know, and again, the thing, the thing that makes it unsettling is that he doesn't speak at all. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like, Oh God, he just freaks me the shit out. Like I'm a horror person. I can watch horror any time of the day with any horror villain. And this guy, this guy, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. Wait, 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 wait. Any time of the day? Well. Any time of the day. I just need to, I just need to. Well. I just, I just need to say, I just need to say one thing. There's this, there, there's this, there's this particular project by one of Dean's favorite filmmakers called Mike Flanagan. And he did a little show a while back that she cannot watch during the day you mean at night so any time of the day i think you need to take that but uh, at night i'm sorry well you didn't even so, get through it you thought it was so need, fucking I, creepy you could not even finish the series so i think i'm warranted in not being able to watch that at night that and by the way for the people that are listening uh it it's the uh miniseries uh house on haunted hill no that's the movie <laughs> house on haunted hill the haunting of hill no, house well, the haunting it? of well, hill house sorry mike thank you the haunting, haunting of hill house. house yeah listen Haunting of Hill House is one of the best horror miniseries I've ever seen. Directing and writing, perfect. 10 out of 10. But it scares... It's scary. (laughs) So scary. Yeah, okay, fine. Fine. I can't watch anything at any time. All right? Thank you for bringing up my flaw. All right? Okay. Okay. It's creepy. (laughs) Let's get back to the movie. I don't want to talk about my... my Me lying to myself. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. (laughs) I'm just lying to myself now. Um, So... After that, uh, a dead body shows up. And again, Johnny Depp, the way that he plays Ichabod is so funny because he has, he should not be in the business that he's in. He has trouble with blood. He has trouble with death. Like every time he sees a dead body, you can see him like dry heaving, which is so funny. And he just doesn't want to get near it. He sees blood and he's like, nope. The reason he does these things is because there are people watching him and he you can sort of see him going, okay, I'm the detective. I've got to do this. I have to push this to the side. But everything makes him squeamish. 
which but he wants to do it it's 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 a really i like the dynamic within the character but it's 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 quite funny to me the scene after that is mm-hmm. um the again the set design when they go to the graveyard to bury the body the set design on the graveyard i mean just the the what is it the um the attention to detail on the gravestones is detail. insane. Yeah. Like I paused it on, I mean, you can see kind of one of the gravestones and it is so deep. You know, in movies, the, let's just, let's just take a, 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 a stroll to movies these days when we go to graveyards and we see someone's gravestone. It's, it's literally a stone block that says, you know, Mary Sue 1970 to like, I don't know, 1991. And it's like, what? It's like so bare and it doesn't make sense because that is not what gravestones look like. It's just so cheap looking. But in this movie, they have done, they've done research. They have done so much detail on the gravestones. It is, it's insane. You noticed it? I know you noticed it. Yes, I absolutely did. I absolutely did. And again, I think one of the shining things about this film, as much as we're praising to as much as we're praising the performance of Johnny Depp, as much as we're praising the direction of Tim Burton, none of this would be possible if the production designer didn't create an atmosphere that these actors and this director could take and just tell the story that they want to tell. And the attention to detail also shows how much love and care was taken into this production. Yeah, exactly. Everything is just pinpoint. I just just love love that. I love it too. It's just beautiful. Also, also... Also, you mentioned that the character of Ichabod Crane shouldn't be shouldn't be doing what he's doing. He's very squeamish. He passes out. He's very nervous. He's he's kind of like he's kind of like a spaz, but a a, a spaz in a good way. And a lot of um, a lot of scripts today who choose to treat their characters like that, they don't do any backstory to try and explain it. But I really love how Johnny Depp's performance is sort of reinforced by the backstory that we get later on. And we get to sort of understand why he is the way he is through the backstory that is told in dreams with his mother. And I really, really enjoy that. I'm glad you brought that up because that's the next point I wanted to bring up. Because now we come to the Ichabod backstory, which is weaved in and out of the the movie. I'm going to go against you on this. I didn't like it. Um, even from the first time I watched Sleepy okay. Hollow, it took me out of it. I didn't, I, it's not that I didn't get it. I, it was, for me, it was unnecessary. I felt like I knew everything I needed to know and I felt like they could have gone a different way. And the, the kid that they cast to play Johnny Depp, what, who, what the hell, as if, as, come on, this kid, it's like, uh, it does, they didn't even try to get a kid that kind of, resemble it just looked like some random kid they just got there yeah let, let's just put a kid so I was like is that when I first watched it, I was like is that supposed to be like Johnny Depp and the whole mother thing and how she was put the only thing I thought was cool was when he found her in the torture contraption the Iron Maiden which I thought was pretty cool and he was walking in the room and you know are you surprised that I actually know that I didn't even need to look that up I just I just I'm so messed up in the head I just know that so that was really cool but I didn't like the backstory I felt like they could have done a better job and all it really said about Ichabod was he lost his face and that's why he goes with science that's all it said but did we need to know that I don't think it it enriched his character I, I didn't understand him more because of it For me, for me, I really read that in a completely different way. For me, the backstory of his mother and everything that she went through really informed the way that uh, Johnny Depp approached the character of Ichabod. And I really love at the beginning of the movie, to, to sort of backtrack a little bit here, when Ichabod first meets the townspeople and he sort of, you know, you know explains that he sort of walks through to the townspeople what he's going to do. And one of the townspeople um, uh, just throw a, a, a Bible uh, on a table and said, listen, if you want to get through this, you need to place your faith in this. And I found that really, really affecting because um, it's no secret. I've said it on multiple podcasts. 
I'm a I'm a I'm a atheist. I don't believe in anything. So I d- I just love when in stories characters who have lost their faith are presented by people who have faith and I love to see how that affects them in the story that they go on. So again, uh for me the flashbacks with Ichabod's mother really worked and I could you know you know I could see how for you, um, they didn't work, but for me, uh, it, it 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 really helped me a lot to understand uh, the way that Ichabod That's is. That's what I love about movies and anything in the creative field is that it can be interpreted so many different ways, um, like looking at a painting or a sculpture or you know like this. Even watching a movie, it can it can really speak mm-hmm. to some people, but then turn other people off. And I really, really, I I really enjoy that. I just wanted to. Mm-hmm. I want to give a huge shout out to the stunt double of the Headless Horseman, the dude that drives the horse. Now, I looked up his name. His name is Ray Park. This guy, the, the way that he maneuvers and controls this horse, it I mean, it is amazing. Like, if you just... If, if somebody just took all the scenes of this guy riding the horse and maneuvering this horse and made it into like a YouTube clip, you can see this guy is ma- ha- is the master of this horse. This horse does anything this guy... I mean, and horses... Like the horse he's riding, I think it's... I Don't quote me on this horse, people. I think it is actually a Clydesdale, which is the biggest horse... Like, did, tell me you, you noticed that. The, the, this, this, this guy on this horse. Like I've seen horses like i've seen stunt double stunt people on horses before but the way that this guy like i I don't know i can't explain it but i was watching it in detail i was just in awe of this stunt guy just just had this like control over this beast do you know who ray park actually is do you know who he is do i he's a he's a stunt no no no. he's a stunt double but do you know what other projects well i do it's in my trivia so i'll I'll take it out of my trivia yes i i know i know okay 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 but uh hearing that you know the stunts were performed by ray park and the way that he could the way that he controlled the horse that doesn't surprise me at all because of ray park is a is one of the best stuntmen that we have today and i don't want to spoil what other projects that he has been say it just say it say it say it um no, you say no, no, it no, because no. I only know no, I only I, know, I know one I, other project, no. and you probably know about five or six. So you you say it. No, I'll just no. He he was um he was Storm Shadow in GI Joe in the in the in the awful GI Joe movie with uh, Channing Tatum. Oh, okay. and, and I've uh, never seen that. Dennis Quaid, but yeah, but he was also in one other project that I'm not that is probably in your trivia, so I won't spoil that. But it's no surprise to me that you noticed the stunt work and the beautiful control that Ray Park had of this big horse. By the way, how do you know everything? How do you know stuff about horses? I like, like <laughs> where did that I, come from? I know a little bit about a lot. <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> honestly, like I don't know. A, I don't know a lot about a lot. I know a little about a lot. I don't know how I know these things. Um, I think, I th- oh, do you know how I know it? I used to go to a, a school with a girl that was obsessed with horses and she was she was showing me different horses and the only one I remember was a Clydesdale because it was the biggest, most beastly horse. And I was like, whoa. Like standing next to, a, like I'm 5'4", standing next to a Clydesdale, like it would just be, it's a dinosaur. It is, it's, horses scare the shit out of me. <laughs> it's just, it's so powerful. I don't know. And yeah, just watching this guy and how he just takes complete control of this horse. It's just like, it's awe-inspiring. Okay, moving on. So there's a scene mm-hmm. that I, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes. It's a funny scene. It's after Ichabod um, sees the headless horseman lop off um, somebody, I can't remember. Bro, I think it's Brom. I think it, it brought, yeah, Brom's head yeah. on the the bridge, right? So there's this whole mm-hmm. fight sequence there. Oh, and by the way, I loved that sequence on the bridge. I loved the way they filmed that. And I loved the sound mixing because there is a bit where they both run across the bridge and they hear the horseman's boots 
and they turn around and he's not there. And I was like, oh, that's weird. But he was on the roof and then he jumps down behind them. And I was like, oh, that's pretty, <laughs> I like that a lot. So anyway, the sound mixing on that scene was really, really cool. But the scene that I really liked was after that when he's in bed and he's got, he's got the, the blankets up and he's like, I'm not leaving my bed. I, a, I wrote down what he said because I thought it was so funny. He said it was a horseman, a dead one, headless. <laughs> just find that so funny. <laughs> of and I was it just is. like, and they're like, yeah, we told the, the, all the people in there. They're like, we tried to tell you, and like he just he just was not getting out of bed, and then he just and then he just fainted, and I was like, that is such a funny because that is a nat- that's a natural reaction. That is a reaction that people can can um connect to because if you watch like detective shows or anything like that when something traumatic happens the detective kind of you know they they kind of just compartmentalize it and they move on but in this it actually showed what most people would do which is basically cower under (laughs) their sheets and not want to come out obviously he does eventually but um yeah i just found that scene so hilarious so Moving on from that, moving a little bit further into the story, there's a bit which which I personally was not a fan of. And watching it now, deconstructing it, I was like, oh, I, I felt like that just didn't need to be in there. So it's a scene when Ichabod uh, goes in, he's in the forest with um, young Mesbeth, the, the boy, and he finds a cave and he goes into the cave and he finds this witch now this scene always jarred me because i never really understood why it was there and then i realized why i always had a hard time hard time with it because the whole scene is just exposition <laughs> that's the scene it's just this witch tells him where to go and what to do and he did but as as a detective, like he's supposed to do it because he's the detective. I don't know what happened in the screenwriting process. I don't know, again, if they were just um, braced for time, but the whole scene is just her telling him where to go next. And I felt like, like as a screenwriter, like you don't do that. You don't tell your character where to go. The character has to figure it out for themselves. Did you notice any of that? I did not like that mm. scene at all. And I'm, I'm going to repeat you once again, because um, when you have a lead character, it's best for your lead character to discover what he needs to discover on his journey. Really lazy writers will have the lead character have a conversation with somebody and give them exposition to move the story forward. And the scene with the sister is unnecessary, but I, I, I think the reason that they put it there is because it, it, it comes back in the third act. And in the third act, I thought they really got exposition crazy. Like, I really wish that they would have done, like, I, I like the third act, but I really wish that they would have tightened it up in reference to, I think they over-explained everything. I think they tied everything up in a nice, neat bow. And I would have liked them to, from a story standpoint, leave some branches unsolved. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't love the third act. Um, it's probably my least favorite act um, of of the film, just because it's there's a lot of scenes that went on for too long, and like you said, it's tied up in a bow and this exposition that doesn't need to be in there, and it's kind of just. I mean, I still love the movie, but it's kind of just from a screenwriter's perspective, it's kind of jumbled. But the scene I really did like was when they got to the Tree of the Dead. Now, the Tree of the Dead is epic. Whoever designed that tree is, it is awesome. so awesome. And I love, I mean, God, Johnny gets sprayed with so much blood in this movie. I love when he starts chopping at the tree and all this blood starts coming out. And I'm like, that is so cool. And then he finds all the missing heads because the horseman lops off heads, but they never actually find the heads. And Ichabod is trying to, real trying to think of like why is he fucking stealing the heads but he stores all these heads in the in this tree that's blood and you're kind of thinking why is this tree here why is this why is there heads here why is there blood why is it all this and then you realize it is actually the horseman's grave because you can see his um his sword so out and i really like that because out of the horseman's grave the horseman was so 
terrible and so horrendous that even Mother Earth couldn't kind of keep that energy within the grave. And so his energy spread out and so it kind of sprouted this, this tree of, of death. And I really, 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 I really love that. Just, just that concept that just somebody's dead body can be so toxic that it can actually sprout something sort of even more toxic. So Ichabod finds the grave, which is literally just next to the tree and digs him up and then finds, this is when we push the story forward, that the, the, the horseman's head has been stolen. It's not there. And so he actually realizes at this point that to stop all this, he, ac he actually has to find out who has the head and reunite it with, with his body. And he also realizes that whoever has the head controls the horseman. This is where, for me, the story got a little bit nuts. When we find out who controls the horseman and ultimately why this person wanted to control the horseman, that really ticked me off because it ended up being a thing about real estate and personal power to me. And I'm like, really? You guys are doing this amazing story about the headless horseman. And to explain all this, you want to make the primary villain of your film a person who is concerned with power. And the only reason that this individual is sending the headless horseman after people is because she wants to gain land and influence within Sleepy Hollow. I'm like, as a screenplay writer, I would have wanted something uh, a lot different in reference to the motivation of the true villain in this film, the person who was controlling the horseman from the oh, beginning. that's funny. I never actually thought of it that way. I thought that the motive... I, I agreed with... Not agreed, but I understood the motivation because she was a psycho. Like, she's crazy. She's not all there. Um, mm -hmm. Ever since she was a kid, she's crazy. So it doesn't make sense to look at it from, like, our point of view where we're, like, s semi-sane. Like, she's a psychopath. She will literally kill anybody to have power and money, which is, like what most people kind of would do for power and money. Like people would do mm -hmm. a lot. So I kind of understand. I, I, I kind of understood her. Look, is it the best motivation in the world? No. But does it, does it, is it possible for me? Yeah, it's possible for me. So Ichabod, okay. Okay. Um, he finds evidence of who controls the horseman, right? This bit annoyed me. He finally finds the evidence. He gets some, he finds a will and it's got the evidence that he needs to sort of go, okay, I know who controls the horseman. He thinks it is Christina Ricci's character's father that controls the horseman. And what does Katrina, Katrina Van Tassel do, which is Christina Ricci? She steals the evidence and burns it. And I'm like, oh my God, if I was Ichabod Crane, I would literally kill her. Like, And she's like, no, you can't put my dad in jail. And he, and I'm just sitting there and I'm like, what if he's the one controlling the horseman? <laughs> like, like, you can't just destroy evidence. And then, and then he doesn't even get pissed off with her. He's just like, oh, you know, I didn't mean to hurt you, blah, 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 blah. And then she turns it around on him, gaslights the shit out of him and is like, I curse you. I curse the day you came to Sleepy Hollow. And I'm like, wait a minute, bitch. You stole evidence from him. You stole evidence that your dad, like, is not great. And you're turning around and gaslighting him. No, Christina, I love you. But that was just crap. No, that did not work at all for me because from, from a character perspective, she, Christina Ricci has been one way from a character perspective the entire film. And when she gets an inkling that Johnny Depp could possibly blame her father for controlling the Headless Horseman, the way that she reacts is not consistent with her character. And the way that she, you know, sort of gaslights Johnny Depp and sort of blames Johnny Depp for the for the behavior that she thinks her father committed is a bunch of bullshit. So I'm with you on that. one. Yeah, I agree. I feel like it was out of character. For I mean, look, her character didn't have a lot of um, story. She was kind of just there, just to be kind of like the pretty one, and there was no backstory to her at all. And you know, the the kind of love story that they were trying to weave between Ichabod and Katrina didn't work. 
I don't know if there was because there was no chemistry, but they weren't in enough scenes together, and it yeah for me, the whole love story thing it 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 never worked, and it didn't it didn't work for me this time when I was deconstructing it. So then, oh sorry, for go me, for it, go for it. Yeah, no, it's okay. For me, the love story wasn't the best, but for me, I really felt the connection between uh, Katrina and Ichabod. It wasn't the best thing ever, but I think. Um, Christina Ricci and Johnny Depp did the did the best they could with what they were given t- with what they were given. It wasn't the best in the world, but I think it worked a little bit more for me than it did for you. Well, a little bit of trivia that is not in my trivia, but that that I read was that Johnny Depp didn't want Christina Ricci cast in that role because he had he's known her since she was a kid, like. He, when he was dating Winona Ryder and she was filming Mermaids, Christina Ricci is in that. And he used to go to the set all the time and they would play together. And, you know, like she was like, she was a kid. So when they cast her as his love interest, he was like, I, this, no, (laughs) this, I, she's, it's like his kid sister. Like, he's like, I've known her since she was like nine. (laughs) And I think maybe, (laughs) look, Johnny is a great actor, but I think that may have come across a little bit, which is why for me, the chemistry just was was not there but yeah there's a little why didn't they get hmm? why didn't they get winona right they, why, why didn't well they do that? um they actually offered winona Ryder the role but she turned it down so uh-huh. okay. I don't know, maybe there wasn't enough scenes in there um i maybe she was busy i i don't know i don't know the next the next thing mm-hmm. i want to talk about is that really awkward sex scene it's awkward between Lady Van Tassel, which is the one that controls the horseman, and Jeffrey Jones's character, it's awkward. It's, it's Je- look. Jeffrey Jones is a, a quite a heavy set guy, and she he's on top of her, and she cuts her hand, and she's like putting all the blood over his back, and he's got this long weird wig on, and it's. I mean, I don't. I didn't think we needed it. Do you th- do you think we needed it? I don't feel like it did anything for the story. No, it was completely unnecessary. You could have taken that out and still understood that the woman who was controlling the horseman is a crazy fucking bitch. Yeah, because that that was con- I think I think the only reason that they did that was for shock value and to really really bring the point home that this woman is off her fucking rocker. But it's completely it was completely unnecessary. If you look. look if as a screenplay writer, if you're gonna have sex scenes and moments of passion, make it make sense within the story. Have your have your story have the sex baked into the story. Don't use sex for shock value. Yeah, no, I completely and agree. That's what that's what I think. Um I it, that act didn't make sense because it wasn't baked. It it wasn't baked into the story correctly. It was just there to have it there. Yeah. Uh, look, there's. I mean, we're we're in obviously Act Three, and there's. I'm I'm I have issues, right? I'm having more issues because, you know, once it's revealed that Lady Van Tassel is the one who controls the horse because of reasons we stated before, they. I don't know. I don't know if this is a '90s thing, or they still do it. I haven't really noticed it. Definitely in the 90s and maybe early 2000s, the villain always has this huge monologue at the end on why they did it, what they're going to do next. And I'm like, what the fuck? Who writes this? If I was a villain, if I was like a super villain, like I'm not going to sit there with my victim and be like, oh, well, I'm going to go here next and this is what I'm going to do. And this was my grand plan. And this is why I did it. And this is why I killed this person. I'm like, fuck, kill. Like I would just kill the person. Like why? And it's like more exposition that I don't care about because See? I don't know this character. You, this character, the one who controls the horseman was literally in like three scenes of the whole thing. I didn't even know who the fuck she was. And I'm like, is she the stepmom? She was mentioned a few times, but we never actually, she wasn't in the story. And so when that all, when all that exposition came out, like I was like, I don't care. I, I do agree with you that in the nineties and in the, in, in the early aughts, for some reason, the writers who wrote villains or wrote villains who were out of their minds felt that 
to really to 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 sort of pander to the audience and to and to cater to the fucking dumb people in the audience who weren't paying attention, they needed to explain everything. And here's the thing with villains. You don't need to explain everything. The actions that you have your villains do within within the within the story that you put them in should explain their motivations without speaking. If you have to structure this whole monologue for your villain to say to to sort of justify everything that they've done previously in the script, you have failed as a writer. Yeah. I like agree. like you like like you you know you know you need you need to you need to take your laptop and go home and, and <laughs> Just you know go and Just and don't. study yeah <laughs> yeah it's and study proper story structure but i do agree with you i mean i mean i really did i really didn't i really didn't notice her not being there at all i just think that the third act fell on its face because they over explained everything and one of those things was the villain's monologue yeah um other than that like everything after that i look i liked but i didn't like because after that okay first of all i don't know why they're in a giant windmill i have no idea why the why why she decided to take christina ricci's character to a fucking windmill in the middle of nowhere i don't know is that her lair i have no idea so that was a bit like why the fuck are they there um and then you know, she calls the horseman. She wants the horseman to... She tells it to kill Christina Ricci's character. So the horseman comes and there's this huge kind of fight within the windmill. And then the windmill gets, um, you know, it, it it gets on fire. And, you know, Ichabod, Christina Ricci's character, and um, the boy, Nesbeth, he they run out. And they're looking at it. And Nesbeth, I really like this line of dialogue. Nesbeth says... Or Mesbeth, sorry. He says, is he dead? And Johnny Depp's character Ichabod says that's the problem. He was dead to begin with, <laughs> and I was like, that's such a good line of like this. This movie is not perfect, but it does have lines of dialogue where I'm like, okay, I I I really like that. And as a viewer, you're kind of sitting there, you're like, oh yeah, like how are you gonna defeat something that's already dead? Like you you he's you can't lop off his head. He doesn't have one. Like how how do you, how do you do it? But in saying that, I thought that that fight scene in the windmill was like way too long. Like it didn't need to be that long. The fight in the windmill to me was very, very indicative of Frankenstein's monster for some oh, reason. Yeah. That windmill yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. looked like the windmill from Frankenstein's monster. And I really think that the reason that they constructed a whole sequence was to have Ichabod say that one scene to uh, Nesbeth, you know, like, like, like how you know you know how can we kill somebody that is essentially dead and here's the thing about this villain in this film that only shows up twice okay if she was so fucking smart why didn't what what first of all why was she fucking monologuing and second of all why didn't she kill christina ricci and just have the horseman come over and lop off her fucking head if she would have done that then she would have fucking lived and taken over whatever the fuck she wanted to take over. But that, but you know, you know, but that wasn't the film that we were graced with, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, like instead of like the 10 minute monologue with Christina Ricci, she could have just like killed her. <laughs> and why didn't she just kill Ichabod Crane? Like, like with the horseman, like the people she was targeting with the horseman, I would not have gone that way. Like I, I just, felt like it was just a t colossal waste of time like i understood why yeah. each person was killed but it was just like you rank people like okay should i kill this person first or last no and no no and th th here's the thing here's the thing in storytelling if you if you want to kill somebody a good writer justifies the actions of the serial killer within the story that's why and i said i said i was never going to bring this sh shit up but I'm going to bring it up because I hate this fucking movie. Scream <laughs> 5, okay? What do you mean? Scream 5 is the best. <laughs> I fucking hate you. We're not friends anymore. <clears throat> okay. I'm not the one that bought Scream Every 5, just so everybody fucking knows. <laughs> he hates it, but he bought it. <laughs> okay, okay. Scream 5, right? There, There's this scene early on where the serial killer, where Ghostface kills this guy who is a dick to our main characters for no apparent reason. Every person that Ghostface kills in that in 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 that 
fucking movie makes no makes no sense. Uh-huh. Makes no sense from a story perspective because he just did it for shock value. He just did it for for yeah, it, look, again, look, I'm not, see, now I'm getting angry, okay? I'm this is why we're never going to do Scream 5 as a review, because you, you, you get, you, you're passionate. <laughs> It'll just be you the whole okay. time going, fuck this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right, I'm going <clears> to, <throat> compose yourself, it's okay. <sighs> ah, okay, so, okay, here's the thing. If you're going to have your villain kill someone in a script, Make it a part of the story and make it make sense. Don't have your villain kill people willy-nilly. Connect it to his grander motivation and what he or she wants to achieve in the script. Do not do it for shock value or do not do it for a body count. Absolutely agree, 100%. Um, it's a wonder we're not working screenwriters with all the shit screenwriters in Hollywood today pumping out absolute fucking trash. But that's another conversation for another fucking podcast. Getting back to the story. Yeah, yeah that's, why, I'll, that's why we're unemployed. Yeah, that's why we're, because we're actually not <laughs> shit. Yeah. So after that scene, there is a long, too long chase sequence between the horseman. Although it's not bad. It's just too long. Between the horseman and Ichabod. So Ichabod is on a carriage and the horseman is, you know, trying to kill him. Anyway, that's a long scene I thought was way too fucking long. But... The issue I'm having here is when they get to the Tree of the Dead, uh, Lady Van Tassel, which is the one that controls the Headless Horseman, is there. She's already there. And I've written down in my notes, why the fuck is she there? Because she has the Horseman's skull, which is what he needs to stop this, to reunite it with his body so she's standing sorry she's sitting on a horse she has his skull the open grave is next to her so how easy was it and it was to take the skull and to give it to the horseman like was there a story need for why the fuck is she there why is she there tell me uh why is she there because she's there for the you know third act to to wrap everything up in a clean bow if she wants to be there fine okay if she wanted to be there fine but why the fuck are you going to bring the head why the fuck are you going to bring the one thing that your hero needs in this case johnny depp the one thing that the one thing that gives you control over the villain in this movie vis-a-vis the horseman with you why didn't you bury it or better yet here to piss everybody off and to make it more possible for this movie to finish properly in the third act. And again, guys, I really enjoyed this movie. My main problem with it was its third act leaps and how messy that this thing wrapped up. Here's a better idea. Destroy the fucking skull. Oh, yeah. And make it nigh impossible for Ichabod or anybody else to beat this motherfucker. Do that. Yeah, that's and, a good idea. And... Yeah, and the, and the situations that you will create as a screenplay writer will be maddening, but it will be a much more possibly ambidextrous ending for the film instead of what we got. Yeah, I just, I, I actually never noticed that before, that she was there. And I'm like, why, what would, why, what's the point? Like, I don't, yeah, I, st- I don't understand why she's there. I mean, for store, for the convenience, like writer's convenience, she's there because there has to be battle and the trees there and all that shit. Um, but yeah, I just, um, I didn't understand it. So anyway, he obviously very fucking easily grabs the skull, chucks it over to the headless horseman who grabs it, puts it on his head. And then some very odd, weird, cartoony, um, uh, I don't know what you would call it. Like it can, it's like the reconstruction. Yeah. Visual effects, like a reconstruction of like the, the muscles and the skin and stuff, which like was not, for 1999, it was not that bad. And then, um, you know, we see the headless horseman, you know, as one again with his head and he sort of looks at, um, what's her name? Lady Van Tassel and realizes she's been messing him over, grabs her, does the, the worst kiss and the most disgusting kiss <laughs> in his cinema history. He basically eats her face and then um, 
on the horse. They they jump into the um the tree of the dead, and I supposedly she's dead, which is a cool scene. It is a cool scene. Um, I just I don't know, but yeah, it, it it's probably the most redeeming factor of the third act. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a cool scene, but again, my main problem with the third act is structure and that really took a lot of that that really knocked the winds out of the third act for me it was fun but if i if i wasn't a writer i think i would if i wasn't a writer i think i would have enjoyed it a lot, a lot more yeah i mean look every time i've watched this movie beforehand i never actually like i you know i i didn't have issues <laughs> now i'm now i'm deconstructing it i'm like oh well the third act totally doesn't work from a screenwriter's perspective so we come to the end of the movie and when we started this conversation, I said there were two shots that Tim did that were my favorite. The first was the um, crane shot of Sleepy Hollow and the second was the last, the final shot of the movie when they get out of the carriage and Christina Ricci is wearing like a Beetlejuice-esque dress and it's another crane shot from behind and it just shows New York City 1799 and it is one of the most beautiful shots i think yeah it was a it was a really really cool way to sort of bookend the film because the film starts with that beautiful crane shot that you like so much of ichabod coming into the town of sleepy hollow as the lone gunslinger and it finishes with quote-unquote um ichabod crane having a whole family in a sense i mean even poor nesbitt comes along as his manservant but you know, if you read between the lines, you know that that kid is going to be their son or their adoptive son for the rest of their life. So it's a really nice way to give Ichabod to give Ichabod some closure for his character throughout the film. Yep. So that's all I've got for. I mean, we can go to trivia next. Uh, yeah. You want to go to trivia? Okay. Welcome to trivia with Dean. So uh, I did put a lot of effort into this because, again, there's a lot of trivia about a lot of movies, but um, a lot of it is boring. So I tried to pick the most interesting trivia that I could for people. So uh, when Christopher Walken was um, cast as a headless horseman, he actually had no idea how to ride a horse. <laughs> so they had to teach him how to ride a horse. <laughs> uh, yes, which I thought was funny. Um, oh, this one I like. The entire town of Sleepy Hollow, that big crane shot of that town, was built from scratch. It was the the it wasn't just the outside, because you know in films only the outside is built and then when you go in there's like hollow. No, they built rooms, floors, and stairs, and it took them three months to build the entire town. Not the windmill, the windmill's a separate thing, but to build the entire town of Sleepy Hollow. And when they were finished finished filming, they just tore it all down, which is oh mm. no good. <laughs> It's depressing, isn't it? It's so depressing. Um, so depressing. Yeah. So Ray Park uh, was the the stunt guy, uh, the headless horseman stunt guy. So he actually had to wear a blue ski mask when he was on the horse, so they could digi digitally remove it um, in in post. And the the special effects were actually done by Industrial Light and Magic, which I thought you would like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's why, you know, you know, that's why, I mean, the, the special effects in this movie are, you know, a little bit above board because, you know, they, they're just great. Even the even the visual effects when the horseman lops off their heads, usually when you see bad special effects, you can tell where the live action shot ends and the CG effect begins and the visual effects between. The actual stuff and the visual effects. I th uh, the the live action stuff with the visual effects stuff in this film, particularly with the headless horseman, melded very very well, and it made it makes a lot of sense that the um, the premier visual effects house back then and now uh, had this film and did magnificent work on this film from a visual aspect of it. Yeah, it looked great. And, uh, you know, Ray Park, as we talked about before, played another very famous character in the Star Wars universe called Darth Maul. Yep. And I know and all the people would be like, oh, he played Darth Maul. Yes, he played Darth Maul. Yes, he did. Yes, he uh, did. 
Yeah, the only the, the only the only good thing about that fucking episode one was that fight. I liked uh, those. But that's I, it. I liked those movies. Look, did I love them? No, but I I liked them. I didn't think that. Listen, listen. If we're gonna talk about shitty Star Wars movies, the most recent ones, okay? The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, they were like golden compared to the new ones. Okay, I'm sorry. I know that's going to hurt Star Wars fans. This is just my opinion. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, you know, um, okay, well, I will say that the last Star... Oh, my God. The last Star Wars... (laughs) You know what I was going to say, right? Um, The last Star Wars film was the worst Star Wars film that I've seen. And that really hurt me personally because, you know, my guy was behind the camera. He should have never been there in the first place. But enough said about Star Wars. Let's just uh, continue right, back to the trivia, um, back to the trivia. with the trivia bullshit. Okay, so um, other actors considered for the role of Ichabod Crane were Liam Neeson, Brad Pitt, and Daniel Day-Lewis. So I would have loved to see Daniel Day-Lewis do this. He would have done it straight, wow. though. Like, he would have done it so straight. But Liam Neeson, I could... No, that would totally no. be bad casting. Maybe Brad Pitt, but Daniel Day-Lewis, I could see. All right, there's one more trivia left on my list that you and I both already know, but maybe our listeners don't know. So, Sleepy Hollow is actually a real-life village located in Westchester County, New York. So, you can actually visit Sleepy Hollow. Is it like the movie? No. Do I wish it was like the movie? Yes. But there you go. End of trivia. Yeah, I actually, actually, when I was a kid, there's a there's a Spanish bakery uh, in Westchester, New York, that my family would go to all the time, and we would pass the cemetery all willy nilly. As a matter of fact, um, a little bit, just a tiny bit about our relationship. Uh, <laughs> before Dean sort of put handcuffs on our relationship for reasons that I will not go into, um, I actually uh, I went down there one time and I showed her. I sent her a video of a, of a cemetery. And then, because Dean loves cemeteries, she's creepy like that. And she asked me, what's, what's the deal with the cemetery? It looks really cool. You should walk, you know, you should get out of the car and walk the cemetery. And I'm like, do you know what cemetery this is? And she's like, no. And then I was like, this is a cemetery where the Headless Horseman is buried. And guys, <laughs> she physically lost her shit. She basically... Begged me to get the fuck out of the car and walk to the cemetery. And if I'm I like, had, I, oh my god! If I had known when I was in New York that that was there, because I didn't, I don't know why I just didn't. It just didn't come up. Um, I would have a hundred percent gone there, hundred percent. Yeah, but who knows? Well, like, 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 like I, like I said, when I, um, when I go back, I will get somebody to hop out of the car. Yep. And walk the cemetery. It might not be me, but I'll send you footage. Can you drive through it or is it walking only? No, you can probably drive through it. Because most cemeteries I'm in not... America, I'm pretty sure you can drive through. Yeah, I could drive through it, but wouldn't but but wouldn't it be nicer for you to get somebody on the ground and just walk through it? Doesn't matter. Each it, it doesn't matter to me. Yeah, I mean I'm gonna go the there eventually right? anyway. Yeah, you just want the footage anyway. Anyway, that's neither here nor there, but that gives you a small little peek into the intricacies of our uh, friendship early on, which was kind of funny. Um, yeah, but you know, this film, uh, this film was a really, really good watch. But again, uh, look, the the movies that we talk about on this show, half of them are, you know, things from our childhood, and that that's what really destroys us as screenplay writers because. As we visit these films, because of the because of the creedy that we de- because of the creedy that we designed at the beginning of the show, it's going to be really hard for us to uh, to sort of deconstruct the things that we love. But that's the kind of show that we wanted to make. And look, and with everything that with, with everything that we've said about Sleepy Hollow, from a screenplay writing perspective, this film is just a fun time. And if you like scary shit, especially with October coming up. I would recommend this movie. It's just a really, really fun late 90s watch. And it's so much fun, uh, particularly if you're not us and you don't notice the shit that we notice. Um, But uh, other than that, um, I think that'll do it for this edition 
of the mixtape podcast. Um, if you guys choose to come back, uh, the next film that we will be covering is uh, the film The Forest. I hope I got that right. Is that the next one up? Yep, that's it. I, I think I did. So um, thank you so much for uh, listening. And until next time, please remember, if someone is kind enough to make you a if someone is ever kind enough to make you a mixtape, that must mean that they truly love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.